Welcome to the Overcomer Podcast, the podcast that takes you inside the Word of God and reminds you that if you're in Christ, you are an overcomer. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So just sit back, relax, grab your Bible, and join me. Hello everybody, in this episode we're going to be diving into Philippians chapter 2. I hope that you'll grab your Bible and join me. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Overcomer Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Gilbreth. I hope and I pray that this episode finds you doing well. I hope and I pray that you've had a great uh, two weeks. And I hope that you have your Bible ready uh, to follow along with me in today's episode. If you listened to the last episode, then you know that we're going through the book of Philippians. And I started in Philippians chapter 1, and I taught verse 6 where Paul said, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We started going through the book of Philippians and this is not a it's not a verse by verse uh, study of the book and I I chose not to go that route with it uh, just simply because if we went verse by verse uh, I'm talking about if we methodically moved through verse by verse by verse then it would just it would take forever to get done and so we're just kind of hitting the highlights I want to kind of draw out the key passages from each chapter, and along the way, just kind of, I hope that you'll get the basic gist of what Philippians is all about, and I did my best in the last episode, Uh, and if you haven't listened to the last episode, I encourage you to do that. Um, I hope that you'll go back and find uh, the last episode, which was released two weeks ago, and I hope that you'll listen through that. Uh, Because I gave you some background on the book of Philippians. I gave you some historical background uh, about uh, the church at Philippi, uh, its beginnings, Paul's second missionary journey. I told you a little bit about the city of Philippi, and um, I gave you a lot of background information. So I hope that if you haven't listened uh, to to the last episode, then I hope that you'll go back and do that before you listen to today's episode. But in today... Uh, Today's episode, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and I want to draw out a very familiar portion of Scripture for those of you who are students of the Bible. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'll go ahead and read it to you. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, uh, and this is where we are going to be in today's episode, but I want to talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? And that that's the question that Paul answers in this chapter. In the verses that I'm that I'm about to read, we're going to discuss who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to ponder that question as I read these verses. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And as I studied these verses and uh, I read a little bit of background, uh, some scholars perhaps think that this portion of scripture is an early Christian hymn that Paul is actually using an old hymn, a Christian hymn uh, from the first century uh, to sort of try to explain who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if you'll back up, uh, just kind of give you the context of these verses. Paul begins chapter 2 by giving the Philippians some instruction. He's saying, this is how you are supposed to live. He said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Then he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul is beginning this chapter by instructing the Philippians, he's saying, I want you to be like-minded. I want you to have unity in the church. I want you to have the same love. I want you to be of one accord. I want you to be of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't, uh, don't live your life only about yourself. He said in verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of other." Paul gives this hymn describing the Lord Jesus Christ because he's instructing the Philippian church. He says, look, I want you to love one another. I don't want you to be lifted up with pride. I don't want one of you to think that you're better than somebody else. And I don't want you to live in a way where you're trying to impress other people. I don't want there to be strife. I don't want there to be vainglory. I don't want no jealousy. I don't want no envy. I don't want no strife. I don't want any of these things that will tear a church apart. And that's what Paul is instructing the church. He said, look, be of one accord. Be of one mind. Love one another. Fulfill my joy. Paul's saying, look, this would fulfill my joy. It would give me no greater joy than to hear and to know that you are loving one another, that you're in unity, that you have the same love one to another, that there's no strife, there's no vainglory, there's no, uh, there's no contention going on. 
you're not only looking out for your own interests, but you're looking out for everybody else as well. And so Paul is, that's kind of the, the groundwork of chapter two. And then he goes on to say, I want you to look if, if there's going to be unity in the church. And if there's a message the church today needs to hear, it's the message of unity. Because there's so much strife and contention going on. All you got to do is turn on YouTube. Pull up YouTube. Look at Christian YouTube. Look at Christian Twitter. Look at Christian Facebook. And all you're going to find is strife, contention, quarrels. Uh, there's all kinds of things going on that really shouldn't be going on. But if you want to know how the church is supposed to operate, if there's going to be love, if there's going to be unity in the church, then look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to give you just a few things from these verses about who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The very first thing that Paul talks about in these verses is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, for those of you that perhaps may not know what the word, in, what incarnation is all about, it's Jesus Christ. And I'm going to explain this further here in just a few minutes. But incarnation just simply means God Almighty became human flesh. He was incarnated in human flesh. That God Almighty who exists in eternity outside the bounds of space and time he took on a human body and stepped into space and time. That's what the incarnation is. And so he starts it off by saying, let this mind be in you. And when he said, let this mind be in you, he's simply saying, I want you to have the very same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Let this mind, let this attitude be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, I want to stop there. He said, who being in the form of God, what's he saying? He's saying that Jesus Christ was already in the form of God. He's saying that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ was God, that Jesus Christ has always been God. If you go to John chapter 1, and I am going to turn over there and read it to you. And many of you who are familiar with the scriptures can probably quote this verbatim. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Don't miss that. The same, the same who, the same word, the word was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What is, what is the Apostle John saying? The Apostle John is saying, in the beginning was the word. He's got Genesis 1-1 in mind when he penned those scriptures. We all know Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we all know the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. 
We all know the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The wonderful, marvelous account of creation. And that's what John has in mind. In the beginning was the Word. And if you'll notice in your Bible, in in our English Bible, the word Word is capitalized. W-O-R-D, it's a capital W. And the reason that it's a capital W is because this is not talking about an it. If you'll notice in verse 3, he said, All things were made by him. Who is the him? The him is the word. In the beginning was the word. He pre-existed creation. He always has been. There's never been a time. I want you to hear this. There's never been a time when Jesus never existed. You know, around Christmas time, which we celebrated just a couple of months ago, you hear a lot of talk about the manger. You hear a lot of talk about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say this, the manger was not the beginning. Now, that was the beginning of his time on earth. But hey, that baby that was laying in that manger, before the manger, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Before he stepped into time, he existed in eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All these people that say that they don't believe in the Trinity. Well, I want to say this. If you don't believe in the Trinity, then I don't see how you explain John chapter 1, verse 1. Because if you take it line upon line, in the beginning was the Word. So in the beginning, we find the Word being capitalized. So that Word is talking about a person. And you say, well, how do you know that that's talking about Jesus? Because you keep on reading. And you're going to find that John chapter 1 is about Jesus Christ. The whole gospel of John is about the Lord Jesus Christ. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And you keep on reading uh, in verse 14, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. But he said, the word, there's that capital W, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. And then you get all the way down to verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. John was born before Jesus was. But yet John is saying, Look, he was before me. Now how is that possible? Because John knew who Jesus really is, who Jesus really was. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. He's with God, but he is God. Now, how is that possible? Because the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these three are one. Jesus always has been. S.M. Lockridge, that great preacher of the past, he had a saying that he used to say, and he said, he always has been king, and he always will be king. Jesus Christ has always been king. He's always been on the throne. If you go to John chapter 17, in a Jesus' high, high priestly prayer, in verse 5, Jesus said, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So in that verse, Jesus is saying that he pre-existed creation. He was with the Father in glory before the world even was. He's saying, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That is the pre-existence of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I can put it this way, that is the pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. I told you about Genesis 1-1 just a few minutes ago. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Now, if you have access to a Hebrew Bible, or even if you have a Strong's Concordance and you do a word study, that word God in the Hebrew is Elohim. Elohim is a plural form of God. Elohim, and by the way, if you study Genesis 1 and you go through, and I've done this, if you go through and underline every time the word God is mentioned, it's the Hebrew name Elohim. It is the plural form of the name God. And it occurs, and I can't remember exactly how many times it occurs. It occurs a lot. God is revealed to us in Genesis 1 in creation as Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. That word Elohim is plural. Now, if you don't believe in the Trinity, then how in the world do you explain God revealing himself in the plural form? Plural meaning more than one. But yet God said also in the Old Testament law, in the law of Moses, the great Shema in the book of Deuteronomy, God said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. He's one. There's one God. But yet we find him being revealed the Hebrew name Elohim, plural form of God. More than one. Well, let me, let me, that begs the question. Is there one God? Is there more than one God? Let me tell you the biblical answer to that question. There is one God. He is Jehovah God. There is only one God. We worship one God. But if you take the whole of Scripture, it's one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you read on in Genesis 1, God said, let us 
make man in our image. There's a whole lot of talk today about pronouns. Well, let me explain to you those pronouns. God said, let us make man in our image. There's one God, but yet God is saying, let us make man in our image. Who's the us? Who's the our? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus pre-existed creation. As a matter of fact, John even said, all things were made by him. Without him, there was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator of the universe. Now, I want you to think about that. The baby that was laying in that manger created his mother, created the wood that the manger was made out of, created the trees, created the stars, the star that guided the wise men. Who created that star? Jesus did. All things were made by him. Nothing was made apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. He pre-existed everything. He created everything. I want to I want to emphatically make this statement. Jesus is God. I hope that you hear what heard what I just said. Jesus Christ is God. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the majestic Son of God. He's one with the Father. Eternally, always has been. Very God of very God. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, speaking of the wise men. What was it that made the wise men leave for Bethlehem? What was it that made those wise men get up and leave to go seek the child? It was an Old Testament prophecy, and I want to read it to you. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I have a star in my Bible beside this verse because this is a messianic prophecy. This is an Old Testament prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have a wide margin Bible, which I do, I have one open before me right now. If you have a wide margin Bible, I hope that you're in the habit of writing in your Bible. And beside every text that talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to put a star by that verse. I've done that here in this in this verse. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Now, I want you to listen to the last part of this verse. Whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. What did that just say? The Christ child will come, the one who is to be ruler in Israel, will come out of Bethlehem. Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Jesus Christ is from of old. He's from everlasting. Let me put it this way. He is from eternity past. His goings forth is from of old, from everlasting. 
He always has been. And I want to say this, he always will be. But the word was made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John 1, 14. Jesus pre-existed creation. He existed in eternity past. But guess what happened? He stepped into time and he became a man. He became a flesh and blood human being. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. I want to stop there. Verse 6, verse 7, and the first line of verse 8 describes the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Who being in the form of God, that's his pre-existent form. He existed in eternity past, but then he stepped into time. He let it all go and became a man. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. If you're in the habit of doing Greek word studies, I want to give you what the original Greek in these verses mean. And this is the language the New Testament was written in. This is the, the language that Paul originally wrote to the Philippians. And if you do, if you do a study in the original Greek, then you're going to find that here's what it means. It means that even though Jesus Christ is God and was God, I have to be careful how I word this because I don't want to get into heresy. Because there are heresies that are actually based on these verses. I want to start off by saying what this does not mean, okay? Here's what this does not mean. This does not mean that Jesus ceased to be God. This does not mean that Jesus laid aside his Godhood. Okay, when Jesus was born in human flesh, he was fully God and he was fully man. He never lost one ounce of his deity. He was God and he is God. He was born in human flesh. Okay, when he was born in human flesh, he never lost one ounce of his deity. He was fully God and fully man. So I want you to understand that. But it says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He didn't cling to, and that's what thought it, thought it not robbery to be equal with God means. It means that he didn't cling to, he didn't hold on to what he had in heaven, but made himself of no reputation. That just simply means to empty oneself. He didn't cling to his divine privileges as God, but he let that go. He emptied himself and took upon him the form of a servant. He didn't empty himself of his deity. 
I know there's people that will take this verse to teach a heresy that Jesus ceased to be God. I want to be very emphatically clear. Jesus Christ did not lose his deity. He was fully God, fully man when he walked this earth. The God man. But he laid aside his divine privileges as God. Okay, he existed in eternity. He wasn't bound by time in heaven. He wasn't, he never got hungry. He never got thirsty. He never had those limitations in heaven. But when he came down to this earth and became a man, he was bound by time. Okay, as God, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at one time. But as man, when he was in that human body, he couldn't be everywhere at one time because he was bound. I hope, I hope that I'm making sense. Okay, that's, that's the essence of what the scripture is saying. He didn't cease to be God. He was still God. But he was in human flesh. That phrase, made himself of no reputation, is one word in the Greek. And it, it simply means to empty himself. He let it all go in heaven. All those divine privileges he enjoyed in heaven, he let that go to become a man that was bound by time, that was bound by space, that suffered hunger, that suffered thirst. He, he was bound by the same limitations that we are as a man, not as God, but as man. He was fully God. He was fully man. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, this is one of the, this is probably the single greatest statement of faith in the scriptures. This is actually a creed from the first century church, again, that Paul is incorporating. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the incarnation. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's probably the single greatest statement of faith in the scriptures. Okay, God was manifest in the flesh. God became a man. Which begs the question, we've already established that truth, but it begs the question, why? Why did he do that? If you have an open Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to begin in verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure or to aid or help them that are tempted. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. These verses, and I personally believe Paul was the one that wrote Hebrews. I know scholars debate this. There's different ideas, different opinions out there about who wrote the book of Hebrews. I personally believe it was Paul. And so I'm going to teach this as one of Paul's writings. Okay, Paul, again, in Philippians 2, 5 through 9, he lays out the incarnation. God became a man. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, he explains why. Why did God become a man? Why did Jesus, who existed before creation, the eternal Son of God, why did he take on human flesh? I want to take you through these verses and then we'll, we're going to end it here. And I'm, more than likely, we're going to cut it. I'm going to cut this off after I finish this point. And then in the next episode, we'll pick it, we'll pick it right back up and we'll put a nice bow on it before we move on to chapter three. So I'm probably going to do a part two of this teaching in the next episode. So I hope that you'll tune in for that. But in these verses, Paul lays out why. Why did Jesus, who existed in eternity, why did he step into time? Why did he become a man? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, he might destroy the power of him or that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. The very first reason that Paul gives is why Jesus became a man was to destroy the devil. If you go to the book of 1 John, and I didn't have this in my notes, so let me flip over there and read it. This just came to my mind. In the book of 1 John, I believe in chapter 3, let me see if I can find it. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committed sin is of the devil. Now listen to this. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose. I want you to hear this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why did God become a man? Why did Jesus step into this world? To destroy the devil to destroy the works of the devil. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and study about the fall of man, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. 
the serpent, which was Satan, found his way into the garden and tempted Eve. Well, we all know what happened. Eve partook of that forbidden fruit. She gave it to Adam. They both sinned. And when that happened, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Okay, the curse, the fall, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. Okay, that was a result of the devil tempting Eve. The serpent beguiled Eve and caused mankind to fall into sin. Now, yeah, Adam and Eve had the choice. They could have resisted, but they didn't. Okay, that, that's the works of the devil, sin and disobedience. Jesus came to break that curse. Jesus came to destroy, to conquer, to defeat the devil. And even after mankind was plunged into sin, God said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. What was God saying? God was saying the seed of the woman, which was the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is going to crush your head. Now you're gonna now you're gonna bruise his heel. You're gonna inflict some suffering on him. But you know what? He's gonna crush you. He's gonna defeat you. And I'm happy to report right now, two thousand years later after the cross, I'm happy to tell you Satan has been defeated. He has been crushed. He has been defeated through the death, the burial, the resurrection, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made a show of him openly, triumphing over him in it. Satan's a conquered foe. That's good news. Somebody ought to rejoice listening to this broadcast, this episode right now. Somebody ought to rejoice. Rejoice in the fact the devil has been defeated. Rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ, once and for all, crushed his head. Thank God for that. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. This is something that never really, never really clicked in my mind until I studied these verses. Deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We were subject to bondage of sin. We were subject to bondage of the fear of death, which is what this verse is talking about. We were subject to bondage, but guess what happened? Our great Savior, the Son of God, stepped into time, became a man, destroyed the works of the devil, conquered death, hell, and the grave, conquered sin, conquered Satan, and not only that, thank God, he delivered us. We are delivered from bondage to the, the curse of the law. We're, we're delivered from bondage to the curse of sin. We're delivered from bondage to Satan. We are delivered of, of bondage through the fear of death. You know what, child of God, we've got no reason to fear death. We've got no reason to fear uh, dying. Now, yes, the thought of death, it's a scary thing. Here, within the last few weeks, I'm uh, just on the road. I, I'm traveling. I've passed by. A couple of really bad wrecks and one of those wrecks somebody was killed okay that's that's something that's that's got stays in the back of my mind whenever I get out on the road the thought does cross my mind you know somebody could hit me 
this could be the last time I get out on the road. I, I could die in a car wreck. And you know what? That's a scary thought. That's something that does, it, it scares me. But you know what? As a child of God, I have no reason to fear death. I fear the process. I don't know how I'm going to go. I could die from disease. I could die in a car wreck. I, there's many thousands of different ways a person can die. But you know what? My hope and my faith and my trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. My faith and my hope, I trust. I want to say this. I trust in his life, in the life that he lived, his perfect, sinless, spotless life. Jesus never sinned. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Jesus never sinned. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Jesus never sinned. His perfect life, spotless, never had a bad thought, never lusted, never, never did anything wrong. I believe in his vicarious death on the cross. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he became my sin. He took every bit of my sin, past, present, future, in his own body on the cross. And he bore, he took the wrath of his father that I deserved and died in my place. I believe that they placed him in a tomb that was borrowed. It was that garden tomb that sat outside the city. Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of Jesus, placed it in his tomb. And I believe on that third, in that glorious morning, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he got up. I believe that death had no power over the perfect son of God. I believe when that third morning came around, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he's victorious. And I believe that right now, he's seated at the right hand of his father. And he's making intercession for you and for me. He's drawing people unto himself. He's saving sinners from hell. And he's interceding for the saints. And thank God one day he's coming again. That sounds pretty good, don't it? For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him. That word behooved means it was necessary for him. He had to, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He was manifested to deliver us from bondage. But thirdly, he was manifested to be our faithful high priest, to make reconciliation for our sins. For, for verily, he took not on him the nature of angels. Now you say, well, why in the world would, would he make that statement? Why would he make that distinction? He took not on him the nature of angels. Because if you go back in chapter 1, and chapter 1 is great. Chapter 1 is awesome. It's probably some of the best scriptures you'll read on the majestic glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, 
you know, God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Remember I told you, Jesus is the creator, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. What does all of that mean? What does all of that say? Why would he say that? Let me tell you why. It's, it's believed that in the historical context of these scriptures that the people that he's writing to were getting into the worship of angels, angel worship. And so Paul is who I, I believe Paul is writing to them and he's saying, look, those angels are nothing. Those angels worship God. Those angels worship Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than the angels. You're wasting your time trying to worship the angels. If you'll go to the book of Revelation, then you'll know that John bowed down and began to worship the angel that was talking to him. And that angel said, no, no, don't worship me. Worship Jesus. Worship Christ. He's worthy of your worship. Those angels are ministers of, they're, they're, they're ministering spirits. Those angels are nothing. Christ is better than the angels. Christ is so much better than, than the, the mightiest of all the angels. Those angels worship him. And for verily, he took not on him the nature of angels. That blows out of the water the Jehovah Witness theology. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was really Michael the archangel. I got news for you. That's heresy. He took not on him the nature of angels. Jesus is better than the angels. It wasn't an angel that was hanging on the cross. That was Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. He's better than the angels. He took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, and things pertaining unto God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. I want to flip over to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, 
so also for himself to offer for sins. No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but that he said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our high priest. He was manifested so that he could become a faithful high priest. The high priest had to be able to identify with the people. If he was going to be an effective high priest, he had to be able to identify with the people he was serving. And that's what those scriptures are saying. So in Hebrews chapter 2, he, it behooved him to be, made, to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He's got to be able to identify with us. If he's going to be our faithful high priest, he's got to know what it's like to be us. Now, I will say this. He never sinned. I've made that clear. The scriptures make it clear. He never sinned. But he was made human flesh. So he could identify with you and me. That's why in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, so, so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He, before, that, before those verses, he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not in high priest which cannot be touched, with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ identifies with us because he's our great and faithful high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be us. If you're suffering, I've talked a lot to the suffering these last six or seven episodes. I've talked a lot to those who are suffering. Listen to this. Jesus knows your pain. He knows what you're going through. He feels your pain. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmity. He's our great and faithful high priest. He is our representative at the right hand of God. We ought to, we, hey, we ought to take comfort in that. And then also to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were enemies of God. We were in our sins. But because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on the cross, he made reconciliation. The job of the high priest was to take the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies to appease and satisfy the wrath of God. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, offered his own sacrifice. He became the sacrifice. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Take comfort in that. That's why he was manifested. That's why he came. And then I want to close with this. Friend, that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. I, I read to you Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, and I want to read those verses again because this perfectly illustrates what this verse is saying. I want to read this again, and I want to read a little bit slower this time, because I want you to, I want you to get these verses. Seeing then, 
that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He is able to secure them because he was tempted. He was tried. He's able to secure. That word secure means to give aid, to give help. He's able to come to the aid of those who are being tempted because he suffered in the flesh. He became human flesh to suffer, to identify with us, left the glories of heaven, left it all behind to identify with you and I. And friend, I want to say this in closing. If that's not love, then I don't know what is. The fact that he was in heaven at the right hand of God, the angels of God worshiping him, adoring him, praising him, and he chose, he voluntarily left all of that behind to be wrapped up in human flesh and walk this earth for 33 years. That's something I'll never understand. But I'm thankful he did. And because of that, we have access to God because Jesus became flesh. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know what? I sure am thankful that we have a great high priest, that we have Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we can go to him, and we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need because he became flesh, walked on this earth in our shoes, in our skin, and satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. That's amazing. And that is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the incarnation. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I hope that you learned something. I hope that I was able to be a help and an encouragement to you. If you're listening to this episode and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I just told you the, the greatest news that you will ever hear. Jesus left heaven, died, and took the wrath of God so you don't have to. And I urge you and I implore you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And if you're listening to this and you're suffering, I want your main takeaway to be this. 
Jesus walked in our shoes and suffered. I want you to trust him. Go before the throne of grace so that you may obtain mercy. Find grace to help in the time of need. Tune in two weeks from now. Part two of this teaching. We're going to finish Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. We're going to finish this teaching. Part two in two weeks. The Overcomer Podcast. Hope you'll tune in. God bless you. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Amen. God bless you. This has been the Overcomer Podcast. The podcast that reminds you if you're in Christ, you are an overcomer. Join me every other Friday for all new episodes of the Overcomer Podcast. God bless you. Until next time.